I don't have my mic. Is that okay? Okay. Well, tonight we finish chapter 17 of the perseverance of the saints. And uh, if you could with me... uh, Read uh, John ten twenty eight from the screen as, uh, as we kind of begin our time. Jesus said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It's been uh, two weeks ago that we looked at the perseverance of the saints, and it's important that it's not just the perseverance of those who have said a public prayer, but it's those who are the saints, those who have been called, those who have been justified, those who are being transformed in the image of Christ, that we have this hope. And here in paragraph 3, it brings to light uh, some of the truths we were looking at in paragraph 1 a little further. It says, And though they may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of means of their preservation fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to have their senses and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. Yet shall they renew their repentance and be persevered, excuse me, be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. Now again, the they at the beginning of the paragraph is going back to paragraph 1, laying down that foundation of who has this promise of persevering in faith. And it is not uh, the unelect, it is for the elect only. But there's beginning to show the, the challenges as we walk in this life. It, it would be nice as the the Wesleys sought to uh, teach falsely that we could reach this level of perfection on this earth. That all of a sudden that uh, we could generally apply, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone and we no longer sin. We understand that that's a spiritual picture that we're taken out of darkness and transferred into light. That that the the process of of sanctification is a lifelong work of God in the lives of believers. And I wish that every moment of every day that a sin was brought to our mind, that repentance would happen. But we see four things here that that take place in the life of a believer that are the means of backsliding, uh, the means of living in a state of sin, First of all, the temptation of Satan. Again, we recognize that Satan is real. He roams to and fro like a roaring, what? Liking, lion, seeking whom he can devour. But we must understand that though it is a means of backsliding, it is not an excuse to say, well, the devil made me do it. Is not a cop-out. 
We might think it's a real genuine cop-out. That Satan personally came to me and tempted me and therefore I am not guilty is not an excuse before a holy God. But the second means here given is the corruption, excuse me, the temptation of the world. Again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see the temptation of the world, that that which seeks to pull us into uh, the ways that are not of God. We recognize that there is a battle that is taking place. It is uh, not a battle that we're wondering, hey, what's going to be the outcome? But in this present time, we recognize there is a conflict. And we live in the conflict but thirdly, the prevalence of our corruption, that, that our flesh is still tainted with sin. The Romans 7, that we recognize that in this body we live in, though we have been transferred from darkness to light spiritually, that we still are impacted by these sinful bodies. That we have not been made perfect yet. That there is still indwelling sin that must be put away. I think about these battles with sin. What would happen if we did not battle sin? I think we'd get very arrogant and proud. Thinking, look at how good we are. And this reminder that we still battle this sin, it's a reminder that we need God. Not just in our salvation, we think, okay, uh, that's in the past, but in our sanctification too. And these happen through the temptation of Satan, the temptation of the world, the prevalence of corruption, and third, the neglect of the means. And I would finish that by saying the means of grace. Again, if you look back to chapter 14, it speaks about those ordinary means that God uses to work in a believer's life. The reading of the word, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. You could add prayer as one of those ordinary means. And really, if you think about the temptation of the world, the temptation of Satan, how did Christ battle those, this temptation in the desert? Through Scripture. Yeah. Scripture is really a key element in the sanctification of a believer. It teaches us what we need to know about God. It enables us, by the work of the Spirit, to apply it. And it gives us truth to focus on. Again, none of those, even the indwelling sin that is still in the life of a believer is not an, uh, um, an opportunity for us to have an excuse. For even in our sanctification, we stand responsible. What are the consequences of uh, walking in sin or backsliding? Um, the, the confession gives... Six of them, or maybe seven. Sorry, seven. Again, notice how the confession says that for a time may continue. That, that sadly, it's not just that turning from our sin immediately. But sometimes in our lives, there's a, a continuing in sin. And, and what takes place when we sin? First of all, the displeasure of God. 
God's righteous anger toward our sin. Isaiah 64, 9. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember our iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. The displeasure of God causes, as the psalmist says, for God not to hear in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Does it mean that God no longer knows what's going on in our life? No. But that presence of God has, has been removed. His displeasure is then placed upon us. Uh, kind of a companion to that because the, the Holy Spirit is uh, one of the persons of the Godhead. We have the grieving of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. To resist the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of, our, uh, of a believer hinders our sanctification. His work of conviction I've had people say to me, well, I don't feel convicted about that sin. It must not be sin. Here's the problem. We've become dull of hearing. Not hearing the work of the Spirit. And thirdly, we have graces and comforts impaired. There can often be, as, as a believer is living in a state of sin, sleeplessness, a lack of joy, fear. Yes, there can even be increased joy, thinking that we can live however we want. But if we are God's children, sooner or later these things begin to set in. There can even be sicknesses. In the epistles we see that uh, we're, we're to confess our sins one to another. Sometimes because we're sick is because of our sin. There's a physical thing that happens. As the psalmist in Psalm 32, 3 says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Now again, sometimes the the lack of nearness of God is the testing of God. But sometimes the lack of nearness of God is our sin. And we need to ask the Lord for wisdom to discern the difference between those two. Is this God bringing me through a trial that I must trust and strengthen my faith? Or is there a sin in my life that, that I'm unaware of maybe even that I need to repent of? That there's these lack of joys, the graces that God has given me and the comforts I lack. Because I'm living in a state of sin. Fourthly, to have our hearts hardened, to doubt our salvation. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 73 says, Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Fifthly, I've kind of mentioned it, we have our consciences wounded. To have a lack of sensitivity toward our sin. Again, the psalmist in Psalm 32, When I kept silent, my bones grew old. 
through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Have you had times like that? Times of a lack of joy. Something's going on and you're wondering, Lord, what is going on? And then through the means of grace, God uses the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. To show us the sin of our hearts. But sadly, sometimes when we live in a time of sin, there are physical consequences of others. That we hurt and we scandalize others. And one of the big pictures in scripture is King David. The physical consequences of his sin upon others. David recognizes that his sin is between him and God, but that did not leave the the ramifications of, of hurt lives around him. The physical consequences, like 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. might think wow that's harsh that's again we're not looking at it from God's perspective as as parents as father our sin impacts our children Sam Waldron says brethren there is no guarantee that any one of us will not fall into such sins apart from perpetual watchfulness. You may be a Christian, but that does not exclude the possibility that you may damn your children, hurt others, bring judgments on yourself and family, and or have your assurance greatly weakened. Is it wise then, dear Christian, to go on indolent, sluggish, careless, neglectful in known duty? Sadly, the sin of a father, of a mother, of a friend impacts those around in great ways. But lastly, we see that continuing in sin can bring a time of temporal judgment upon ourselves. The discipline of God, as 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world, that God brings a judgment upon us, that we might turn and wake up. And, as you'd say, come to our senses. David in Psalm 51 is a, a great picture of the heart of repentance. But in his prayer in verses 10 to 12, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Notice he recognizes that he does not have it anymore. To renew something that was once there but is no longer. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. should be great encouragement in that again as john was writing to believers his epistle first john he says if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to cleanse us 
to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That hope there is, is for us as believers. That when we sin, there is hope. There is not, we don't need to buy into the devil's lies of, well, God will never forgive you. But that God is a restoring God. That even as like a prodigal son, we can be wayward, but God restores. There is a hope in those words for a time continue. Because that is a limited time that as God's child, if we are truly his child, there might be a season, there may be a time, it might be a day, it could be a month, it could be certain periods of time, but if we are his child, there is a coming home. That there's no question left. This is a great comfort to those who are parents of a child who has professed faith but does not seem to show. There can be hurt, there can be questions, and we can trust the sovereign hand of God to know that if they are his, they will return. That we're not left wondering that some might be lost. First John 10.28 says, Neither shall anyone snatch them out of his hands. It's impossible. It's a great hope. The hope in the times of backsliding is that a true child of God will return. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Again, that's a, a verse that has a, a warning and an encouragement. That truth of Matthew 24, 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved because Philippians 1, 6 is true. That he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just a couple weeks ago, we looked at Peter's denial of Christ. We see his denial, and in the middle of that we would say, is he a believer? Look what the end of his life turned out to be. That's the truth of it. It's the hope. And in our own lives, we we can see the battle with sin, but always know that the hope of God is he is a God who restores like we saw in Luke twenty two thirty two, Jesus said, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. What a great reminder. For those of us who have walked in times of sin, short or long, we can encourage others who are in those times of sin to say, Hey, God restores. To strengthen the brethren that as we sung, that we would leave no unguarded place, that we would look and put full on the armor of God, that we might stand. Not stand in our own strength, but to stand in the strength of our great God. Again, it has been 
the phrase has been coined, once saved, always saved. And while it is often misapplied, the the truth of the matter is, if we are called of God, we are always going to be his child, but we will always show that through the actions of obedience. There will be times, sadly, as we fight the temptation of Satan, the temptation of the world, our flesh, and, and the neglecting of the means of grace, that we'll see sin in our life. But through those same means, God uses to build us up and to restore us. It's a great promise, a great hope, but a great reminder that we must stand in the armor of God. But by God's grace, he gives us eternal life that we will never perish. And no one will snatch us out of his hand if we are his. We pray that we are tonight. and Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, uh, the implications of this doctrine are, are so rich. They bring such great comfort, but they also bring great conviction. Lord, that we would not... Lord, grieve you in walking in sin and in rebellion. Lord, that we would not prove ourselves to not be of the faith by walking in disobedience, but Lord, that you and your kindness would show your work in us by restoring us. By bringing us to you that that our faith in Christ for our salvation would be made clear. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who restores, that you are long-suffering, that those who are yours will never be snatched out of your hand, and that when you begin the work of salvation in our lives, that, that you will bring it to completion. Till we stand in Christ's righteousness before your throne. Lord, I pray that you would comfort us with these words, that you would encourage us and cause us to see the means that you've given us to walk in holiness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.